Okay, and we're back. Do you want to tell us about the origins of the contemporary goth subculture, but starting from the beginning? Yeah, so we talked about our own goth origin story, so let's talk about the historic goth origin story, because uh, we've all seen smarmy people uh, talk about the OG goths, and it's uh, they'll post a Germanic guy on a horse, Germanic tribesman. But that's true. That is uh, that is where the term started. Was from the uh, the goth tribes, and so it's just like, okay, so how did we get from those guys from 500 AD, or sorry, the fifth century AD to Susie Sue? That seems like a weird. <laughs> It seems it seems weird and it doesn't seem it seems very incongruous but in actuality there is a through line there's a through line of why um why goths are called goths why the gothic subculture is the gothic subculture it does start out with this group and also uh webster's dictionary defines goth as sad people in black with a lot of makeup and clothes too hot for the weather no i'm kidding uh so <laughs> So uh, I actually got uh, a shout out to Wikipedia, Wiki to their friends, and uh, the Ghoul Guides, Dr. Laura Nixon and Dr. Mary Going, who I discovered, not me personally, but like, you know, I, I learned about them when I was doing my Dracula and my Frankenstein course with the Rosenbach Library. And they started out with Sheffield Gothic, and now they are doing the Ghoul Guides, and it's basically all things goth. So check them out. They are on Twitter and they are on YouTube as well. But I got this from a video that they did about the origins of goth and, yeah, Wikipedia. So basically, the history dates back to, yeah, 5th century AD uh, with the Germanic tribes of the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths. And they were brought together by uh, Keen Alric, the OG main man goth himself. And so, and they became the goths under that. Just straight goth. He was just like, no, I want it, I want it snappy. I want it smart. I want it snappy. Don't want, don't want any of this other stuff there. And so it's always funny with me with history. It's just like, wait, this happened at the same time this time happened? Oh, okay. But basically, so the goths were contemporaries of the late Western Roman Empire. And I say Western because, of course, there were two Roman empires, the Western and then the Eastern Constantinople, all that stuff. So... When I say Roman Empire, just know that I mean the Western one that's in Rome. So yeah, they were the contemporaries of the uh, Roman Empire, and they were often a force against the expansion of it at that time. And about after two, like, meh attempts at sieging Rome, uh, Alaric and the Goths succeeded in the sacking of the city in August of 410 AD. And for three days, they laid waste to the city, which was basically, like, Rome had skirmishes with people on the outskirts, but the idea of invaders coming in and sacking Rome was just kind of unheard of. And it basically signified, like, the beginning of the end of Rome. Now, like, this wasn't, like, exactly when it collapsed, but it it, it was, like, one of the death knells. Sure, there were a string of poor emperors, and sure, there was lead everywhere, but... The thing about that was that to the Western world and to the kind of to the in the Western world and the public consciousness, Rome was idealized as the center of culture, enlightenment, democracy, civilization and progress. And so the people that the Western world basically thought took that out, a.k.a. the Goths, uh, that were seen as responsible for its downfall, came to symbolize the antithesis of all of those things. And the Goths were also uh, blamed for uh, the cause, sorry, were blamed as the cause for plunging Europe into the Middle Ages, or as they were problematically named, the Dark Ages, which, yeah, Middle Ages or medieval is what they're called. And so because of all this, the term Goth comes to mean barbarous, backward, uncivilized, and violent. And Sounds about right. 
Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, so it's just like, so basically, um, starting with Rome and starting with that and like, and this doesn't actually have a bearing on who the Goths were as people. It's just how they were viewed through public memory, basically. Um, and even as seen in uh, Shakespeare's early Tarantino phase, the play Titus Andronicus cast Tamora, queen of the Goths, as an element of chaos and uh, a sower of discord in Titus's Roman household. So you could see how, like, even in the Renaissance, how the Goths were viewed. So getting to, so, but still, it's just like, okay, but like that kind of makes a little bit of sense, but what about all the other shit that like is associated with goth, right? Well, Dr. Mary Going thinks that snowballs are kind of helpful when thinking of the gothic. Uh, she says that like a monstrous snowball ever expanding and gaining speed as it rolls downhill. And the same is, it's the, the same is true with the gothic. Um, picking up more and more meanings as it rolls through history. So in the medieval period or the Middle Ages lasted from about the fall of Rome in the 5th century to the beginning of the Renaissance. And that long time period developed uh, several things we now take as staples of Gothic culture. So take Gothic architecture. So actually that term, the term Gothic architecture is actually a retrospective one and actually one that we use in a derogatory manner in like the later Renaissance times. And uh, it spanned from the 12th century AD to the 16th century and during the high and late Middle Ages. Um, and so actually, because it originated in France, its contemporary title was Opus Francingenium, or French work. And it was a departure from the Romanesque style that preceded it, Romanesque being thick walls, small windows, and domes that were replaced with a pointed arch which gave way to the ribbed vault and the flying buttresses. Hell yeah. And because of that, uh, you were able to have a lot more light in your churches and your churches and your other buildings were able to be a lot taller, which is actually really, which is funny. Like all of that's really, cause people think about like the dark ages, but without these feats of engineering, like none of that would be possible. So this idea of like the kind of, Monty Python. Oh, who's that? Oh, I think he's the king. Why do you think that? Well, he's the only one not covered in shit. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of a how people looked at it retrospectively versus like really how things were in the Middle Ages. And all of this was uh extremely elaborate and with ornate tracery. Tall and full of light, these churches, abbeys and cathedrals and castles like Francis Notre Dame, St. Vitus in Prague and the and the cathedrals of Canterbury and Salisbury are still sites to behold. So let's skip down another thing that became becomes a staple of Gothic culture. It's Memento Mori, which became very important during medieval slash Middle Age period. And of course, Memento Mori is the artistic depictions of death, i.e. skulls, skeletons, and the personification of death through the Grim Reaper, coffins, an hourglass, and wielding flowers all physical reminders of death and its inevitability that often would adorn tombs, crypts, and graves. And they weren't just a remembrance, they were also a celebration, which is another thing that I think that is something that's forgotten retrospectively. Like when people would look back, that's not what they would see. It was just creepy stuff, which is fine with us, but you know. So next time you're chilling in a graveyard, looking around for the sign, look for the signs of the Memento Mori because they are there. Another part of this, a part of Memento Mori, was the Dance Macabre, aka the Dance of Death. These are depictions of the recently deceased being carried off by the Grim Reaper. And this was basically a symbol of the universality of death. So along with death, there were usually depicted popes, uh, emperors, kings, a child, and a laborer. So basically people from all walks of life. Uh, these were originating from illustrated sermons and uh, texts. That's where they were first depicted. And basically, uh, the dance macabre were in paintings and frescoes all over medieval Europe during this period. Examples of these are the bridge located in Lucerne, Switzerland, which I believe it's, I think it's called like the Bridge of Death. Um, and then also there, the painting of the Triumph of Death by Bruegel the Elder. Both of these are like, well, I think the the murals from the 1600s featuring the dance macabre. Um, but the bridge is actually much older, whereas Triumph of Death uh, is from the uh, late Middle Ages. 
But there's another one that I remember seeing, and it was like, it was to commemorate the plague coming into town, and it was like a succession of like death coming and taking people. And I remember seeing that in art class and I could not for the life of me find it, but it seemed like it wasn't a fresco or a painting. It was a, um, it was this amazing uh, mosaic of the depiction of the dance macabre, but I don't know where, I don't know where it's from or when it was originated. So never mind. It's just for Phoebe. Um, (laughs) Also, this is uh, definitely later, but um, I think it's a vanitas is an art is an artistic genre all its own where death is just like the main subject. So, you know, death core basically. And then we get to another big staple of the goth culture, which is romance. The chivalric romances, stories of knights going on epic quests and journeys to defend Christendom and save dim damsels, all while fighting wizards, evil giants, and dragons. Insert your D&D monster here, basically. Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, an epic poem from 1590, is a prime example of this. So now we get to, so like, why is all this stuff, why was all this stuff called gothic? Why is it gothic romance? Why is it gothic architecture? Why, you know, it's because when we get to the Renaissance, aka the rebirth, it brings with it a lot of new stuff. So with it, we get uh, Protestantism beginning in England and what would become Germany. And this separates England from the Holy See and much of Roman Catholic Europe, so remember that. And a lot of the Greco-Roman architecture is being rediscovered and embraced, and the once modern ornate style of the Gothic architecture is now seen to be outdated and compared to the clean and classical domes and columns of the new Greco-Roman style. And so, yeah, so this is when we see what we now call Gothic architecture start to be called Gothic, and it's in a, and it's in that derogatory. They're calling it Gothic because, in the sense of this is outdated, this isn't classy, and this is bad art. No, yeah, it's like basic bad art. Um, Sounds about right. Uh, yeah, it was a pejorative term for bad art and a style seen as outdated and barbarous. So it's not only architecture, but much associated with the medieval period falls under the term Gothic in this new Renaissance period. Even Roman Catholicism itself kind of doesn't get away from it because a lot of like the cathedrals and all of the memento mori and all of that kind of stuff is seen as like kind of sticking it in the past and it part of being like kind of this older religion versus like the newer Protestantism. (laughs) And so yeah, so the old Gothic cathedrals were seen as part of the past as was the fascination with death and the supernatural. So yeah, so it's more of a retrospective thing. It's kind of like when punks started getting called punks it wasn't the people who were actual punks, it was people who were later (laughs) who started calling them punks. So now we get to 18th century Britain. And so like after the Seven Years' War with France, much of Britain decided to turn away from the neoclassical style that was super popular in France because they wanted to, you know, they're just like, oh, we've been finding you guys for seven years. Maybe we don't want to do exactly what you're doing. Uh, And so instead, what England did is it turned to, it turned inwards and it started looking at its own past. And of course started romanticizing it and idealizing it because of course the past is horrible. But, um, so in like, once like the 18th century hits, the Gothic actually, it gets, it comes back, it gets another turn. And so the Gothic actually becomes a tool for Britain to be able to reimagine its past through the fictions of the chivalric and historical ideals. So, you know, was all fuddy-duddy, but now, 18th century, it's looking cool again. It's kind of like a fashion, 20 years, I guess, with giant styles, it's 200, maybe. <laughs> so, it's like, this was, of course, more from fiction than facts, let's make that clear. But as my aunt always says, don't let the truth get in the way of good story. So, the text Letters on Chivalry and Romance by Bishop Richard was published in the mid-18th century, And while initially skeptical of the cultural value of chivalric romances and the stories of the supernatural, Heard actually realized that these tales could be read as analogies for contemporary anxieties. And this is like a really big thing. It's like also a big thing where gothic, (laughs) a lot of stuff where gothic subculture comes from. So 
a knight killing an evil an evil ogre becomes a story of an oppressed people putting the rights uh, putting to right the abuses of a bad ruler. The gothic, as means for analogy, is born and now is tied to a type of literature. So the text of the Castle of Otranto is actually really is an interesting one. So the first edition of this book was printed in 1764, but it was said to be a translation of an ancient Italian manuscript found in some noble Scottish house. And I was just like, after reading that, I was like, eat your heart out, Richard Bachman. Like Stephen, Stephen King thinks that he can create some elaborate shit. Cause yeah, no, that wasn't the case at all. It was actually written by this guy named Horace Walpole. But in this, like what would become a very staple of like a trope of Gothic literature, uh, the framing story of a story with like within a story and also uh, linking, linking a story to like a more ancient time but also like, linking it to like the more ancient quote unquote past of like Roman Catholic Italy um, is also something that like you find in a lot of Gothic stuff more and more people hearkening, hearkening back to older times. So yeah, in the second edition, he finally admits to be written by himself, but he puts with the new subtitle, a Gothic story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the starts of themes and the conventions, w- which we now associate with Gothic literature. With all of that, all of that to say, this is starting, like, being able to write about current problems creatively, being able to write about anxieties and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's uh, it's very goth. And it's something that we kind of have a through line, and we and I'll, I'll tell you about that more. Um, so, yeah, gothic is an analogy, becomes a tool in the 18th century, and through the gothic novel to discuss cultural anxieties without the risk of going against the contemporary social norms openly. Because especially in like high society, that's a no, no with the revolutions, both French and American and later the Napoleonic wars, Europe was a fertile ground for fears. (laughs) Just, just, you know, everything. It's like the sky is falling. There's fertile grounds for fears of the changing socio and political scapes. And with the gothic, like, attached meanings of the supernatural, death, terror, and barbarity, and the past, the events of the late 18th century um, could be processed through these fantastic tales. So a lot of these stories would not be contemporary stories. They would all be stories. So basically, yeah, basically all of these stories would be from hundreds of years ago. Or they would be set hundreds of years ago in a faraway land. Um, so it's almost like a goth Star Trek, if you think about it, where it's like, well, we're not, we're not actually talking about the problem because it's set like way in the past with these other people in yeah, a different place. So it's definitely not about what we're talking about right now, except it is. And so like, so the Gothic format comes into being marked by the use of meta text, which is like basically stories within stories and unreliable narrators, which also kind of comes with the stories within stories, because if you don't have like the all-knowing narrator, then who and you have different different perspectives, then who were who are you supposed to believe? So yeah, so with the gothic framing narrative of story within story, the reader is allowed to doubt what they have been told. This serves to heighten the mystery and dread of the story. While the reader tries to piece together, the tale and the world's wonder is able to be built. So this is also, like, if you're wondering, like, hey, goth has a lot of horror aesthetic in it. I wonder where that's from. I mean, like, Memento Mori is one of them, but also this is another. Um, gothic literature is where we get a lot of the horror tropes that we see today, um, which is also something that's heavily in goth now. Goth now! <laughs> yeah, so, like, with Frankenstein, as you well know, but our... Our listeners might not. It's not a first-person narrative. It's actually... Frankenstein is actually some chick reading this absolutely insane letter from her brother that her brother has, like, gone a-traveling, and she doesn't, like... Is her brother having a psychotic break? He seems to be, like, on a ship, and they picked up this weirdo in the ice... And then the weirdo told her brother a story. And so her brother was like, this story is so crazy. And I also might be in love with the guy who's telling me. I have to, I just have to tell you the story. And and at one point, I think also he tells the creature, what the creature tells him. So it's a story within a story within a story within a story. 
yeah <laughs> and that's that's a that's a common theme and like that goes along through lines through uh you know poe and um also uh like stoker's dracula with all of the um different forms of communication the story within a story within a story allows the reader to doubt what they are hearing or I should say reading and heightens the mystery and dread of the story. It also helps the reader to suspend disbelief as they try to piece together this tale and a world of wonder is able to be built. And so here's the thing with the guys with, with the Gothic tales, because some stuff you might, you might read something that someone's like, Oh, it's Gothic. And you're like, there wasn't any supernatural shit in there. Doesn't always have to be. It's, while the supernatural may not be present in all Gothic texts, the construction of the story can lend itself to the Gothic. And so, like, in some stories like Claire Reeves, The Old English Baron, or Walpole's, Walpole's in Toronto, with the supernatural actually being, like, a real force, that can be one thing. Or it can also be, like, the explained supernatural, like in Anne Radcliffe's novels, or, like, say, like, The Hound of the Baskervilles. But it always represents some real fear. Oh, yeah, and this is this is uh, something that Anne Radcliffe said. Um to her, horror and terror are seen as separate forces in the Gothic. She says, horror stunts, halts, and prevents. Terror expounds, becomes transformative in the Gothic. Terror opens the mind and allows one's thinking, allows one to think on a higher level, which I thought was really cool. And so remember that snowball? So like by the end of the 18th century, that Gothic snowball is just fucking huge and it's picked up a lot of shit. <laughs> And now Gothic has also become a literary mode as well as architecture and as well as, you know, the chivalric romances that we were used to. Also, um, yeah, it has become a literary mode of anxiety and terror. And something that one of the one of the ghoul guides said is Gothic always comes back, which I really like. It's constantly mutating and holding a mirror to our new fears and anxieties. And that's what's so cool about it. And I think why the subculture where, like, a lot of, like, other modern subcultures have kind of died off. Like, even, like, even taking out all of the history, goth is still able to do that because it's able to mutate and it's still, you know, goth singers can still sing about stuff because shit's still bad. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So one of the prime examples is uh, Dracula. It's a novel that shifts from old Gothic backgrounds of like crumbling castles to modernity. So from, you know, what people, what, so what English people, <laughs> I want to stress this, what English people basically thought was like the exotic, you know, old world of Transylvania. And then it would switch to the contemporary English readers uh, the bustling metropolis of Victorian London, Whitby, and Essex. Whitby isn't a bustling metropolis, but you get what I'm saying. And it also, like, contrasted, like, old fears of, like, the xenophobic other and the superstitions of ancient monsters and, like, would uh, face them with, like, the most groundbreaking technology of the day. So, like, from phonographs to the London Underground and, like, to new medical operations like blood transfusions, which, like, at the time was groundbreaking. In fact, um, one of the most successful plays at the Grand Guignol, which was a Paris theater, and they specialized in, like, horror theater, was uh, they, um, did a, they did a skit of a live blood transfusion. <laughs> and it had people fucking falling out in the aisles. And so, like, then we actually, like, and then we go, we skip ahead even more. And so we go to Orson Welles' broadcast of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. And it actually highlights how the gothic conventions can meld and renew themselves with new technologies. And it continues to do so. Then we go to, we go to film. And we, with film, it allows companies like MGM, Hammer, and Universal to resurrect classic gothic monsters and to create their own new horror universes. Um... The new mediums of radio, TV, and film helped renew and reimagine the old gothic tropes, like the found documents um, or found footage, like in The Blair Witch. Um, and this is stuff like when it says it always comes back, a lot of this stuff is, you know, you get the Blair Witch project, but that shit like started in the castle of Entranto, where this guy's like, oh yeah, I found this thing. It's, it's basically, that's like one of the first found footage horror things. 
It was actually written in, like, the 1700s. Cool. So, yeah, found footage has become a genre unto itself. And with films like Paranormal Activity, Cloverfield, the genre is even now more reinventing itself with tropes, um, with the advent of new technology. So there's actually a a horror movie uh, called The Host, and they premiered on Shudder, and it was basically a horror movie on Zoom. And it was like people in the lock-in with a like with a a, a medium like a like a, a seance gone bad basically. So like that's how quickly this like subculture moves. Oh yeah, and so and then like and then you have the internet. So like with the internet is it is itself become home to this generation's iteration of the gothic. Creatures like Slenderman on Creepypasta and the popular Reddit No Sleep and the pos- and the No Sleep podcast, they show a world that is more connected than ever, but where people are still being, feeling isolated in their online experiences. And these new iterations play with the concept of what is real and real on and offline. And it's a and this, of course, is a topic that it's very topical for our generation. And of course, you can't forget gothic gaming, which now has like as a participant, you can actually you can participate in your own terror. <laughs> and so basically, like they're, they they have like a thesis statement. It's like a couple of things from that and says. The gothic is in is engagement with the other, and that's like the base, the most basic thing. Because when you go back, even going back to the the Ostrogoths and the Visigoths of Rome, it started out as the antithesis, the antithesis of what society thought things should be like, and it's always been that kind of through line. Then you get, you know, in the Renaissance, the the stuff of the past, the stuff that they didn't want to think about anymore, the stuff that they thought was outdated, all of this stuff became the other. And then, you know, we get to, yeah, more modern times, and it's still dealing with the other, whatever the other is, whatever that anxiety of the other is. Yeah, so it says, from its start as, an, as the antithesis of all things Rome, so it has continued to be the antithesis um, and the other throughout history. And something to embrace or fear. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, like it, it kind of hooks back, kind of hooks back into what we were talking about, just like goth as being a reaction. Mm-hmm. Because it's always been that way. Yeah. But that also like... means that it can be a lot of things. Yeah, and I like the I like the the snowball thing. Yeah, I thought that that was really because it because. It does because like you you see that there's a through line. You're like, but wait, when did this come mm-hmm. in? And what about this? And what about that? I, and like and I'm like and I like stop short of the music. But then you get in the with the birth of the musical genre, then you get gothic music added to it. So mm-hmm. since we didn't coordinate what we were doing. Oh no! With this section, no, no, no. I'm saying. It's funny because since we didn't like, it was just like, hey, I'm going to do the like, I'm going to talk about like the subculture specifically and stuff. Like, can you do like goth literature and stuff? So when you started this segment by talking about like the Roman Empire, <laughs> I was just like, are we going all the way? <laughs> you were like, oh no. I, I was, I let no, her but be I can too see- no, 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 I can see why you did, though. I mean, I think it's important. Well, technically, to do, it's why the ghoul guides did, though. Because, yeah. Cause okay, that... okay, fair. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it makes sense. Because, yeah, because it's, it, it's, it's the, the, it is the uncivilized. It is the, it is what is in the shadows. It's all, and because it, it's always been that. But it's always been the public's perception of that, not, not how things actually are. Mm-hmm. Just like with Gothic architecture, like we've put this idea of what Gothic architecture is, and it, you know, yeah, we think of like the Gothic castle and all this shit. But at the time when it was being made, it was I think there was like and there's another there was another term for it, and it was called like it was called like the modern movement, basically. But it was like in Latin, um, and that's what got Gothic. Everyone was like, "Ooh, look at this! Look at this! This is so new, cool!" You know. But then later, people looked at it in this such a different light because of how society was doing at the time. It's, yeah, it's it's really cool, but also strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
it's interesting because then what I kind of like summed up like the last thing I wrote down like looking at specifically the goth subculture is that really like the the more specific origins especially of like fashion Mm -hmm. like gothic fashion it all comes back to like horror and like what is it german expressionism yeah fw Um, and stuff from like late victorian and the early 20th century yeah so for for the the actual goth subculture it's kind of distilled down into two there are kind of two parts of it which are the music and the fashion the fashion comes from different different touchstone icons in the in the 20th century mm-hmm. uh, starting with Theta Bara, yeah, who was a silent film star. Um, she played femme fatales. She was, I think, there might have been a couple of different silent stars that were referred to as you know the vamp. Like, I mean, yeah, but I think that were, she like originally like Theta Bara. I like, think she was yeah. the, she was the one taking pictures with skulls and, and spiders. Yeah, and they, they yeah they played up like that was part of her characterization like she she had this name but her actual name was like i mean her actual name was theodora something that sounded a little bit more normal and she was like actually from i think ohio but like her star background was that she was from egypt and they really played up this whole kind of like occult thing with her mm-hmm. And, but that's, you know, it's going back to her, why, like, Susie Sue's makeup looks the way it did yeah. in in the 80s, um, the late 70s and 80s, uh, was kind of an homage to her because they had her. She was in, most almost all of her movies were lost in the warehouse fire in like what the 30s i think in new jersey yeah um like pretty much all of her movies are are lost but there's like a clip from she was in a movie about cleopatra and uh so basically it so basically like egypt has always been like an influence in the goth subculture from like all from always yeah and then uh morticia adams like which the Adams family was like created in the late 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and the Charles Adams, the guy who drew the the original Adams family comics was just into spooky shit. He liked hanging out in graveyards like ever since he was a kid. He was a goth. He, yeah, he he was a goth. And uh he created the Adams family to be the anti I mean it was same idea of being the antithesis of the the american family like was you know this this family of weirdos where you know the husband loves his wife um i know <laughs> like where where the parents are supportive of their children even if they don't agree with their lifestyle choices yeah like and then i think the tv shows it was in 1964 but the com yeah the comic started in the late 30s uh i think he had a certain amount of input on the tv show too yeah um and i think morticia didn't there were like different characters that didn't have names that came up in were they one panel comics like in the new yorker i think they might have been yeah because like yeah it would be like oh like dreadful weather how wonderful you know shit like that yeah yeah so like a bunch of the characters like didn't have names until the tv show and then also there was vampira who uh was she kind of rose to prominence in the 50s her initial look was based on morticia i think she went to uh like she's she moved to hollywood and she dressed up as morticia for a party so it would have been so her thing would have actually been because vampira did her stuff during like the 50s right yeah is that when she so she was doing morticia from the comic book but or from the comics yeah um and she got she got spotted and got uh brought on to be a host she was a host for a horror i can't remember if they should horror movies yeah it was whatever yeah yeah yeah, it was horror she was one of the original horror hosts yeah um in la and 
that was her kind of her whole brand for a while was doing all this spooky shit in in the 50s and then of course like with i mean this feeds into both i guess more of the music side of it then you had people like screaming jay hawkins and doing like you know all of this like kind of it's like proto shock rock oh yeah Um, like screaming jay hawkins was like the original shock rocker yeah and he he had a whole thing where he would be in a coffin on stage and alice cooper got that from him (laughs) yeah so that's kind of like the the fashion kind of has its you know its its origins in it's stuff that's almost all connected, uh, or a lot of it's connected back to horror and like sil- you know, silent film horror, but also gothic literature that you know were kind of the the beginning tendrils of contemporary horror. So going back to uh, Nosferatu and Dracula and Frankenstein and ghosts and you know all that all that good shit. Um, well, and a lot of the, um, a lot of the romantics, a lot of the romantic poets, you know, their stuff was, a lot of their stuff was gothic, um, in nature, the, Bi- the, the Byronic heroes. Yeah, and, like, just the whole kind of Victorian era, since basically Queen Victoria the cult of went death. into, yeah, Queen Victoria went into mourning, in like what 1861 didn't she mourn him for like it was like 20 or 30 years (laughs) or maybe 40 yeah it was 1861 that her her husband died yeah yeah and she was in she was like in mourning and then also kind of into occult shit because of that i think her mother had died that same year Oh, so like into spiritualism, maybe? Yeah, yeah, she got into spiritualism. Um, I think it was, I think it was what you were talking about before, like, about how, like, in certain, there's certain elements of spiritualism that were, uh, kind of okay. If, if you were Christian, there were certain things that were okay to, dabble in. I think that had to, yeah, that had to do with, it's just the whole, like, death and mourning shit was very especially in england was was very just part of so that's part of the whole the whole deal there so i didn't i didn't say this but uh so um you know the gothic architecture really didn't last pretty much after the renaissance except except in places like england and belgium and then england just kind of you know because basically by the time it was time to stop then that's when the gothic revival started happening in architecture Mm -hmm. so england just kind of has never stopped doing goth shit (laughs) it's 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 because it's so dreary there oh yes so yeah then the second part of goth subculture is the music i say it's the second part for a lot of people that's the primary part because if you're just into the fashion but not into music you're a poser <laughs> uh so the the goth music comes from post-punk namely joy division yeah uh and ian curtis's gloomy ass then the, a lot of the dancing were, uh, too yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> um there's there's a lot of weird kind of there, there's a lot of like bleed over in between punk and goth early on where it's kind of hard to it's hard to see where certain things came from because like, like death rock death rock's a little not even a little later but it, it it's kind of death rock's a little yeah it is a little bit later it's kind of a separate okay death rock death rock started in la i believe death rock's an american thing that makes sense because like hardcore kind of started in LA too, right? I think so. Yeah, I know less about that, but because there were there were acts like the Damned, yeah, um, and the Damned were a punk band, but Dave Vanian has always been a spooky bitch. Basically, he grew up 
watching like Nosferatu and the cabinet of Dr. Cal- Caligari and st- and that's so, so that's kind of how he styled himself. Mm-hmm. And he also worked as a grave digger and kind <laughs> of like leaned into the whole like just kind of looking like a spooky dude. Um, although like sometimes he'd be wearing a cape and part of a you know like a suit or something and then like the but then when he would actually like perform he'd be wearing you know leather jacket and jeans so it wasn't necessarily it was just kind of an affect it was was part of his look but he wasn't necessarily going for like a vibe he just looks and but that's the thing about the damned especially is that they it looks like for like their promo pictures and stuff it looks like four guys who are all in a different band like each one of them <laughs> is in a different band like captain sensible is always wearing like a like puffy like fur coat and i, I can't even don't, I don't remember the names of all the guys in the damned. I'm sorry, but like one of them looks like a, like a Ramon. Okay. Uh, yeah, a huge. Um, if it doesn't have to do with the Clash, I don't know about it. <laughs> um, like one of them looks like they're in the Ramones. One of them looks like kind of a yeah, kind of like a nouveau Teddy Boy or something like that. And then there's Dave, who looks like an Undertaker. Um, I played bass for he, nouveau Teddy Boy. <laughs> Yeah, so, and, but they were doing that in, like, the late 70s, like, like, 76, like, 76, 77, and I think the New Romantics had something to do also with, like, certain looks. There's, like, some bleed over there from, like, a romantic look rolling into the whole, like, goth thing. Yeah. And then Bauhaus, their first big hit was Bela Lugosi's Dead, which was... When Bela Lugosi died, it was a headline in the newspaper, and that's where that song comes from. And but you know, it's about a Dracula. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's why I think after I wrote like that down, it was just kind of like, oh, it all comes back to horror. Like that's like all the goth shit is from like spooky stuff, and then just like also the contents of songs. I mean. Because, like, like I said earlier about Ian Curtis's spooky ass, post-punk is largely, like, post-punk, like, the, the part of post-punk that's descended from, directly from Joy Division, is all very depressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and about, the, then, then, like, but not all goth music is like that, because there's just some other goth stuff that's kind of fun, and, like, but also a lot of goth bands, a lot of bands are considered goth, um, wouldn't necessarily categorize Call themselves, themselves that way. What is it? What yeah. did, uh, fuck, what did, um, what did Nick Cave say? Oh, Nick Cave said once about, like, they, he was saying that he kind of didn't, you know, it's like, ah, about being categorized as goth but then he would like put out another album the headline would be like the goth father returns and he said something like and i lay in my coffin and be quite upset about it <laughs> like it's something that he's like oh, oh okay but like the cure they made pop music oh yeah like and it was spoopy pop uh, music yeah some of it was spoopy pop music but some of it's just you know friday friday i'm in love like yeah i was about to say what's spooky about friday i'm in love um it's it's friday and you're in love again because you killed your other loves because you're a serial killer ooh big stretch (laughs) (laughs) i'll get there i mean sure like I, I mean, no, yeah, it's a, it's completely. How, how can complete... I be, how can I be away about you saying that when I definitely put Maneater by Hollow Notes on all of my Halloween mixes? <laughs> yeah, so for the most part, it's just like a bunch of bands that never, that never intended to be goth, but then other 
people for the most part like no you know there there aren't a ton of people who are like super andrew eldritchy about it who are just like i'm not goth and it's just like did you tell patricia morrison <laughs> um no i you don't didn't. i don't think everyone I got don't, the message i don't think you told her that sisters of mercy isn't a goth band uh what does he think sisters of mercy is i have no idea I don't know what he thinks he's doing or thought he was doing. It's like, have you seen your music video? <laughs> yeah, no. But yeah, so there's like, but then there's also like, you know, talking about Nick Cave, there's also like stuff with his his music that's you know, very rooted in like murder ballads and like old school country music and oh country country and bluegrass goth is fuck like actual country when i was growing up there's a radio show and they would play the little girl and the awful dreadful snake my dad would be like hey they're playing the song you really like and the song is about a little girl who's out in the woods and gets bitten by a snake and dies (laughs) and it's it's from the perspective of her father who hears her yelling for him and like runs out and it's like but i reached my darling girl too late like i, I love that shit when I was, maybe oh yeah that's my goth origin Ooh, story that probably you know, yeah that, fucking yeah. bluegrass growing up <laughs> that is that is that is that is a absolute well because like so that's the thing is that like a lot of the times i am more about Cause I, yeah, I definitely grew up the, the influences that I actually listened to my, like with my parents musically, uh, that I actually listened to were all folk music, either American folk music or Celtic folk music was Scottish and Irish folk music. And yeah, most of that shit is just, yeah, it's mostly all murder and death and (laughs) all murder and death or uh something or you know your love is lost and never coming back which is also you know goth as hell but uh this the thing is like yeah like sometimes i i mostly li- i find myself listening to uh as i grow older a lot of it's like oh no my goth my goth cred i'm listening to to more bluegrass and and then it's just but then i'm like no this is still sad as shit like ode to billy joe is basically mm-hmm. about a family talking about this dude who killed himself. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, it's like, yeah, it's a little country song, but yeah, it's about this guy who fucking kills himself. And everyone just kind of like, dad's like, oh yeah, that guy's dumb. And the mom being like, oh, that's sad. And like the brother being like, oh, I just saw him. Like, and then you don't know what the, like the singer's stuff is the most mysterious and you don't know what she was doing with Billy Joe. But like, or like how she kind of feels about it, but you know, some some shit went down, and you know that some shit went down. But yeah, it's like a little murder mystery, or you know. But oh, oh, all this to say is like you know, I it's like oh no, am I am I not goth because I don't listen to Sisters of Mercy all the time or you know, Alien Sex Fiend? But then like I'm like listening, but then you know you listen to the December song. Leslie and Levine, and it's about uh, a woman who died giving birth to her baby, like probably when they were traveling during, like you know, the 1800s, and so they basically got put into a shallow grave. Mm-hmm. It's just, cheery, yeah, super cheery. <laughs> I just, I can't, like, yeah, goth music's just too upbeat for me. <laughs> it's too peppy. It's too peppy. <laughs> You were going with the new mo- new romantics. I'm so sorry. You were so nice and quiet while I stumbled through, and now I've been interrupting you. Well, you like wrote stuff down. I I just have I have some notes and I've gone through them, and oh yeah, the new romantics and like yeah, they're they're definitely um definitely like some style shit from like I mean obviously obvious obviously like you know there's a bunch of stuff in in glam there's still a lot of there's still a lot of especially like bowie love for for a lot of a lot of goths and so there's there's stuff from like glam that like came through like some of it came through to 
a little bit of it came through to punk. Uh, a lot more of it came through in, to to the new romantics, and then it's just kind of because like punk, what punk style originally kind of came from was like uh wearing a lot of out of fashion clothes so and like clothes that were worn a lot of yeah it came out of necessity rather than like yeah like the new New york dolls their shit was falling apart and that's why it was hung together with safety pins not because they were like ooh safety pins yes yeah and like in like there if you look at earlier like promo pictures of like the sex pistols and stuff like I think there are a few that Johnny Rotten's wearing, like, just straight up, like, teddy boy fashion. <laughs> and that was, that was very, that was completely out of fashion at the time. Like, creepers were out of fashion. That was from, I think that was from teddy boys. Skinny jeans, like, drain pipes were also very out of fashion at the time. Uh, and then, like, leather jackets were a very working class sort of thing to have. Yeah. And then the, the Not other. proper yeah and then well and then the other uh the other kind of (laughs) the flare part of punk fashion also came from like blending with like like fetish wear and that that had to do with like i think that had to do with like vivian westwood and malcolm mclaren and stuff was like bringing in like like bondage gear and stuff and but wearing it as fashion accessories and so that's why, like, you have a lot of, like, bondage belts and stuff like that also making it into, like, goth shit. Which is also why I, my, oh, this is a tangent, my boss at Vanderbilt, uh, we were making these, these bags, they were, like, kind of hip bags. We were calling them belt bags because they, our idea was that they could attach to a belt. And I had a bondage belt mm-hmm. uh, that I bought off some, like, old punk on eBay. And uh, I was like, oh, this is this would be a great way. Like, I'll get some some uh, clips, some, like, lobster claw, like, double-sided lobster claw clips and clip it to the O-rings on this belt. And then have another strap that goes, like, around my thigh. And that's how I'll secure the bag. And my boss was like, oh, my God, that belt's so great. Like, she thought it was fantastic. And then she tried to find one on the internet. Oh, no. And so she was searching different things. And and then the next day she was just like, hey, (laughs) the term that came up was bondage belt. And I was like, that is what it is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's just kind of like, I was like, oh, no. I definitely, like, I mean, at the time. What do I want to say here? I was going to say, at the time, it was just like, no, this is just a fashion accessory for me. Like, this has nothing to do with, like, anything else. And I say this now after having gone to Folsom Street Fair last weekend. Um, It's fine. Although that that is another, with, like, goth being very much about, like, counterculture as well in its own way, like... Uh, a lot of goth stuff also crosses with LGBT stuff, which, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of the glam rock as well, um, mixing, like, yeah, do, like, messing with gender stuff, all Mm -hmm. that, um, people, guys wearing makeup, you know. Yeah, that's something that definitely goth inherited from glam that, like, that skipped punk. Yeah, punk seemed to be a bit more heteronormative. Yeah. Well, punk was... I love punk, but it's also, like, deeply reactionary because you have a whole bunch of people who are involved in the punk scene who are now, like, conservative. Or even at the time were actually kind of conservative. And, like, the... Like, straight edge people? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's... There's this whole, like anti-authority thing but then it's just kind of like okay yeah sure anti-authority but like it's it's the line from oh shit the wild is it the wild one the the marlon brando movie where somebody's like what are you rebelling against and he's like what do you got <laughs> like that's kind of punk in a lot of ways people didn't like at the time they were just like 
I'm angry at the system, but like not actually that's where it stopped. Like for some that's why I love the clash so much is because they actually have songs that are about They're like, like direct s- action. <laughs> yeah, they actually have songs that are about like social and economic problems. Um There was a lot of nihilism in punk. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just like, well, if the system's gonna fuck us over, then fuck the system versus like I mean, they also like came from like it's like the the flower children have failed us kind of deal mm-hmm. as well. You know, like, well the hippies the hippies didn't accomplish what they said they were gonna accomplish and things are worse than ever, so you know. Yeah. And I think that's something that's also something Goth inherited. At least Goth in the Nothing, like, nothing early Lebowski. 80s. <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of it inherited the nihilism without any of the like pretense it's all of the like the aesthetic nihilism rather than like pretending it's about something it's i mean it's back to the stuff you were talking about it's back to like expressing like personal like anxieties through music and fashion yeah but it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be about the thing like that was the problem with punk is it was too much it wasn't it was removed too on the enough. nose yeah it wasn't removed enough from for from like what everybody was mad about so then you just like ended up being either you you know were it making making music that was actually political or you were making music that was just all about ego and like um, and like the worst kind of anarchists <laughs> i i would like to go on record saying i fucking hate the sex pistol i know it's i yeah i i i mean they're important like i understand their importance in both the music and fashion side of punk and also the cultural like what, what our popular cultural perception of punk is but yeah but Sid Vicious just seems like a dick yeah he was it's like uh one, one of my professors from college said at some point which was most squirrels could do what Sid Vicious did <laughs> one of my favorite quotes that, that was that was Jamie <laughs> um but anyway, also, well, I, I, don't, I was gonna say, I could... like, they get that, like, through, uh, yeah, like, it's, th- there's that goth thing of, like, having a nihilistic view or having this anxious view that can border on nihilism, but y- you can make it into something poetic mm-hmm. or something that you at least think is poetic, because let's face it, the most goth thing ever is trying to do something poetic and then it's just pathetic. <laughs> it's not poetic it's pathetic it's pathetic which is even more goth but yeah yeah like but with the but yeah like with gothic literature and horror and everything being able to being able to talk about shit that's what i was gonna say it's like being able to talk about the thing without talking about the thing is good therapy so Mm -hmm. like it's um with pan's labyrinth something that i read a lot was that um the Spanish Civil War is still something that people, it was so brutal that it's something that people still, like, don't want to talk about in Spain. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Holocaust in Germany. No one really wants to talk about it. I'm not saying that the two were the same, but, you know, it's just the the cultural idea of, like, yes, it happened, but let's just, like, not, let's not talk about it. And basically through... Pan's Labyrinth because it was through the guise of kind of like this dark horror fairy tale like it was removed enough but it but they still could show the most horrific parts of the war and that was some of the most horrific parts of the movie were things that were actually documented as being like done or said like with some artistic license obviously but things that were documented and a lot of people in Spain they they talked about being able to talk about it being able to talk about it when they hadn't been able to for so long because the analogy the allegory 
was enough that they could talk about something that was so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And kind of like a, in a, I don't want to say therapeutic, but like in a way that like doesn't re-traumatize, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Sure. Maybe that's a bad way to, yeah. And that's like, that's something that kind of like brings to mind for me is, um, yeah, it's not that we're, it's not that we're, uh, jaded by you know well it's like what you were saying like you were like talking about your the fact that you were still terrified that you're terrified of death so like when i was little i was an atheist and i know that seems weird because it seems like that kind of shit is just kind of hardwired into kids brains just like oh yeah god like but as a kid i just like as a very young child like two and three yes i remember back then that a lot of shit happened uh, this idea that like there was some guy up in the sky who punished the bad people and helped the good people like I didn't see that shit it did not make sense to me yes I believed in Santa Claus but he brought me presents and I saw him literally everywhere like versus God and so like I was like really really depressed and so I think I've, I think I've, I think we talked about this before but like yeah my mom would make me do the now I lay me down to sleep prayer Mm-hmm. And it was just like so psychologically like she didn't mean like she did not know. And when I asked her if we could not do it anymore because it scared me, she was like, "Absolutely, we don't have to do it anymore." But then later, when I actually told her why it scared me, she felt even worse about it because I didn't <laughs> tell my parents I don't believe in God because it's just like, oh, I guess everyone maybe that's just a me thing. Maybe everyone else because like as a three year old, you don't really know what atheists are if mm-hmm. you know, especially if you grow up in the South. But yeah, it was just, but yeah, like, so, and then a bunch of people died. I was little and I didn't believe in an afterlife. And then a bunch of my family died very close together. And so, yeah, that was, uh, speak, yeah, it's it's not <laughs> horrific fascination, horror, the terror. Like, it was like, uh, talking about the terror is like, terror is something that kind of uh, opens your mind, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I I don't want people to think that um, if you're a goth, you automatically don't care about this shit or don't or aren't scared of it. It might be quite the opposite. Yeah, it's like a s- exposure therapy. Yeah, maybe that's like like going back to I guess or the previous topic, kind of. Yeah, maybe that's another reason that like I enjoy sanitaries. I I think I also just, you know, like the idea of like having, you know, the the way that garden cemeteries were originally intended, which was, I mean, other cultures have been doing this for fucking ever, but like having this idea of it being a space for both the living and the dead together, like, and I like that idea a lot more than just them being a place where it's like you only go when either somebody dies or on the anniversary of somebody's death, like, or on, I guess on their birthday. But I like the idea of there being some sort of connection between the two. It makes it seem less potentially awful since, I mean, dying is something everybody does eventually. Yeah, it's kind of it, it there there is some aspect of exposure therapy, I suppose. Um maybe maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what we were doing all along. I mean, maybe that's what like what Samhain is basically cuz sort of bonfire comes from like them like burning the bones of the people that they lost and just kind of like, "Oh, cool. So we're going into winter in Ireland and Scotland." So there's that, but it's just like, deal with your shit, like deal with the fact that people died, deal, you know, now, now I say this like with like the, the idea that, um, death is actually a super big part of those, uh, folk religions and that like the dead, the honored dead are a big part of it. But yeah, like exposure, it's like, you can't be as afraid of something if it's there all around you all Mm -hmm. the time but like but like in a controlled way you know (laughs) in a more controlled way than uh (laughs) than than others uh maybe in a way that's on your terms Mm -hmm. yeah because yeah it's uh it's 
yeah, the last three years, it's just like the idea that we live in this modern society where death doesn't touch us. And that's just not true. <laughs> yeah. That's that. That's the fairy tale. Yikes. <laughs> so we're glad everyone could listen to our first episode back. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Yeah. This this went on for a, a while. Earlier when you were saying that maybe we should uh, turn this into a two-parter, I didn't know we were going to be covering so much in the second part of this thing. So who knows? Maybe I'll break this up into two parts. We'll after see how all. the we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how the edit comes together. <laughs> yeah. Any last thoughts? Any last about... requests? <laughs> Uh, just, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Whatever, mm -hmm. if you think that so, I, th that's something that I thought was really cool. It's just like, oh, found footage is, the concept is super old. Mm -hmm. It's something that we thought started with, like, <laughs> the Blair Witch. No, Dracula, then other, you know, other pieces of literature. Like, yeah, no, it's a thing we've been doing for a while. We like doing it. And just, uh, all, yeah, all these other themes that it's just like, and also being able to actually figuring that out, figuring out the through line, uh, it's just like, <laughs> it's like, oh, so, so being goth has always been meant being sad, contrary bitches. Okay. But like before, <laughs> but before it was a little bit more like fearsome, contrary bitches. And now it's like sad, contrary bitches. Let's bring that back. Fearsome goth. I want to I, I, I be feared. You want to be barbarous? Yes. In a Germanic sort of way. <laughs> Which is the thing. It's like, my great grandfather was German. <laughs> no, that's the thing is that oh, my family's. And that's the thing is that we have a. It's the whole thing of it, of that cultural perception, because these people might have been, you know, the idea of the barbarous tribes comes from Rome and comes from how Rome saw these people versus like probably how these people were. But since, you know, written records on Rome's side. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same with like uh like uh druids. It's just like they're poet philosophers. Like, sure, sometimes people were blue and screaming, but other times, poetry. <laughs> okay, well, we'll uh see see you next time. It's getting dark. So remember, stay, stay stiff. stiff. Did you ever think of one of us go skydiving?